This morning's uh, scripture reading is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. You can find it on page 895 in the Pew Bibles. John 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews said to him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Ab- and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Brian. Have you ever missed something obvious, something right in front of your eyes, something that that you should have seen but you didn't see? I do this all the time. Just ask Kate. I ask her questions like, where was the last place you saw my wallet? Does anyone relate to that? Where was the last place you saw my wallet? Where was the last place you saw my keys? Or her personal favorite, where on earth are my glasses? while wearing my glasses. We miss things that are obvious, right? We miss things that are painfully obvious and we miss them all the time. Now, so much of what we miss is insignificant. Eventually, you find your wallet, you find your keys, you realize your glasses have been on your face the whole time. But what if the thing that that we miss isn't insignificant at all? What if the thing that we miss has lasting, eternal significance? Up to this point in John 8, Jesus has made some really radical claims that bear eternal significance. These claims are are claims of hope and life. But those listening to Jesus, they, they miss the point. They're looking beyond Jesus for their hope, all the while missing hope in the flesh, Jesus, the one who stands right before their eyes. So in our text this morning, Jesus is making a big, bold, beautiful claim that we can rest all our hope and eternal joy in. Hope in the flesh standing right before us. Let's not miss it. Here's our big idea this morning. It's going to be up on the screen. If we keep Jesus' word, we'll never see 
death. If we keep Jesus' word, we'll never see death. And we're going to unpack this big idea with three questions. What does it mean for us to keep Jesus' word? What does it mean for us to never see death? And then how can we be sure that we will never see death? Those are the three questions we're going to get at. Before we dig into our text this morning, because we've been out of the book of John, I want to give us just a little bit of background, bring us up to speed. Um, John, if you remember, was, was written, the purpose of John, this purpose of this extraordinary book was uh, written at the end of the book. John writes this in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. You might call these the theme verses of John's gospel. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wants this to be the lens through which we see everything else in the gospel. He wants this to be the grid that we run everything through. John wrote this extraordinary book so that you, so that your spouse, your kids, your friend, your neighbors, your coworkers, so that every one of us would come to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we have life. So at if any point you wonder, what's, what's the point of this story? What's the point? Think John 20, 31, that we would believe and that we'd have life. One other thing that we should remember is that, is that John 7 and 8 is one story. We're, we're really parachuting into the, to the very end of this story. So it's important that we get a sense of, of the whole picture. What's going on here? Another way of saying this is that the drama of our text is part of a bigger drama. It's set against the backdrop of, of momentous joy, celebration, festivity, feasting, singing, and dancing. John tells us in chapter 7, verse 2, that the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. Now, this was one of, if not the most anticipated and celebrated moments of the year for, for Jews everywhere. Think, think Christmas. Think Christmas for us. All the anticipation leading up to it, all that celebration surrounding it, that's what it would have been like for, for these Jews. And man, what, what a party, what a feast this would have been. Think, put yourself there for a moment. Imagine the, the sights, imagine the smells, families coming from all over Judea, it's packed out. I mean, you, there's booths or makeshift tents as far as the eye can see, one for each family. Sweet aromas of, of fruits and grains and meats and gluten-free brownies. Probably not. Would have filled the air, right? This was a party like none other. But what's interesting, what's interesting is that Jesus shows up late to the party. The festivities kick off Sunday, right? He shows up on Wednesday. Why? We're not entirely sure. John doesn't, doesn't tell us exactly. We know that the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus at this point. This likely had something to do with it. Jesus also tells his brothers in verse 8 that, that he wouldn't be joining them at the feast because his time had yet not come. Whatever the reason... 
John simply tells us in verse 14 that somewhere in the middle of the feast, Jesus shows up. He walks right into the temple and then he begins teaching. So the rest of the story is an unfolding drama centered around conflict. Conflict between Jesus and the Jews that that builds and grows more and more hostile as the plot unfolds. Just to give you a taste of this, in, in verse 30 of chapter 8, we're told that after Jesus uh, says some pretty hard words, we're told that many believe him. But no sooner do we hear that, do we get a picture at the very end, as we just heard at the very end of chapter 8, where these same Jews who profess to believe in him are picking up stones ready to execute Jesus. So the tension is building. This is not a pleasant story. Jesus is scorned. He's mocked, nearly killed by his own people. It's not the kind of story that will give us fuzzy feelings. It's unsettling. It's tragic to watch. But we need to put ourselves in this story this morning because in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this growing hostility toward Jesus, we hear beautiful, glorious words of hope. Words like in verse 12, I'm the light of the world, says Jesus. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Verse 31, 32, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Or in our passage this morning, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. These are gracious, life-giving words. So let's, let's jump in. Let's dive into our text. If you have your Bibles, if they're not open yet, open them up to, to chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. We have Bibles in front of you. Whichever it is, uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those Bibles with you. We want everyone here to have to own a copy of the living word of God. So let's, let's jump in. Let's press in. Remember, our big idea is that if we keep Jesus' word, we'll never see death. We need this weighty, wonderful, this glorious, gracious, hope-filled truth to be drilled deep into our hearts this morning. So let's get at this promise Jesus makes with our first question. What does it mean for us to keep Jesus' word? What does that mean? Right from the beginning, we see that the Jews very clearly refuse to listen and keep Jesus' word. In fact, they have really no intention of doing so. And why should they? Right? They're convinced that Jesus' word is is different from God's word. They keep God's word. They're they're children of God, or so they believe. What what good does it do them to keep Jesus' word? Well, Jesus begins to disassemble this argument in verse 42. Look, Look with me at verse 42. He says, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Then Jesus answers his own question. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
Then Jesus gives the clincher in verse 47, just before our text. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. So look, Jesus is saying, if, if you're of God, like you claim, you'd listen to and you'd receive my message. You'd keep my word. But because you refuse to keep my word, you're actually claiming to be against God. The Jews hear this, and they've had enough. Instead of responding to Jesus, they hurl a vicious accusation at him. Verse 48, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? They're calling Jesus demon-possessed. Jesus gently responds, I, I don't have a demon. I'm not here to pursue my glory. No, God the Father, the one whom you're against, he's pursuing my glory. Then Jesus gives this outrageous claim. He gives this outrageous claim in verse 51. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word He'll never see death. So what does that mean? What does it mean to keep Jesus' word? Two things. It means at least these two things. If we keep Jesus' word, it means that we believe his word. If we keep his word, we believe his word. To believe Jesus' word means that, that we receive Jesus for all that he is and the, all that he has done. You know, interesting, Jesus makes this really stark contrast at the very beginning of his gospel. In, in chapter 1, verse 11, we're told that many did not receive him. But what, is he, what does he mean by receiving? Well, he goes on in, in verses 12 and 13, and he tells us this. He says, but to all who did receive him, this is John speaking of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, that is, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So for John, believing is receiving. It's a receiving Jesus into our soul, welcoming him, trusting him, eating and drinking and savoring Jesus. Believing is receiving. Going through the gospel, then we find story after story after story of ordinary people encountering Jesus and believing in him receiving him and his word. Now I wonder, are you believing Jesus and his word? His word about himself, about his saving work right now. Have you received him, truly received him? Do you trust Jesus? Maybe you're skeptical of him. Maybe you're keeping Jesus at arm's length this morning. Are these words of hope the only words of hope that you rest in, or could, could you do without these words? Could you do without Jesus? Are you savoring the sweet grace of God in Jesus right now? Do you treasure him? Believing Jesus means receiving Jesus. 
This is, this is something, this is an act of God, but it's also an act on our part as well. To keep Jesus' word means we believe Jesus' word. Now, belief, if it's genuine, will give way to glad obedience in our lives. And this is our second point. If we keep Jesus' words, we're going to live by them. If we keep his word, we're going to live by them. To live by Jesus' word means it's our joyful pursuit to obey Jesus and his word with our whole person, with everything that we've got. If our lives don't bear the fruit of glad obedience to Jesus, then, then we're really not believing in him. We're not keeping his word. Glad obedience is the good fruit of faith. Listen to how Jesus talks about belief and obedience in John chapter 3, verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, he doesn't say believe, he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Did you catch that? If we, if we believe in the Son, we have life. If you don't obey the Son, we don't have life. For Jesus, if we want to enjoy eternal life, we must believe in the Son and we must obey the Son. Belief and glad obedience. Without them, we'll never see life. So brothers and sisters, is, is your life marked by glad obedience to Jesus and his word. And I'm not talking about a begrudging, I'll do it because I have to kind of obedience. Like serving others with a cheerless heart. Are our lives marked by glad obedience? Like we're loving and serving others with humility and glad hearts. Is this our joyful pursuit to obey Jesus with our whole person? To love God with our entire being, heart, mind, soul, strength. Church, to keep Jesus' word doesn't just mean that we believe it. It means that it's our joyful pursuit to obey it. Glad obedience. Now maybe... Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're hearing this and you're really wrestling with this question. Am I keeping Jesus' word? You're wrestling with that. And to be honest, for some of us, the answer is no. You're not believing in Jesus. You're not obeying him. And that's all of us at one point, right? If this is you, I want you to hear what Jesus has to say in John 3 again. I want you to hear these words of hope. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But with these words of hope come a gracious warning as well. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. These are hard words. These are hard words, but they're gracious too. Keep Jesus' words. Believe them. Cherish them. Abide in them. Live by them. 
Be transformed by them. And Jesus says, you'll never see death. Now, maybe you're wrestling with this question. Am I keeping Jesus' word? Maybe you're wrestling with this, and you do believe Jesus. You do obey him, not, not perfectly, but, but genuinely and real. You do obey him. You do believe in him. Listen, I, I get this. I resonate with this. I ask myself this question, am I keeping Jesus' word? If you're wrestling with this question, and even if you're not wrestling with this question, there is hope for us. There's hope. Look again down at at chapter 8, verse 55. Look at our passage again. The Jews, fed up with Jesus, they, they can't stand him at this point, ask him with raised voices, Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus, who do you think you are? Who are you that you can say to us, if you keep my word, you'll never see death? Look at Jesus' response in verse 54. Starting in verse 54, he says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, and whom you say he is our God, but you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Hear these words. Jesus says, but I do know him, and I keep his word. I know him, and I keep his word. Yet again, Jesus gives us words of hope. I know the Father, and I keep his word. Listen, when we feel defeated by sin and shame, when we feel like as though we aren't keeping Jesus' word, remember that the one who abides in you, who has redeemed you, who is renewing you day by day, he kept the Father's word perfectly for you, for me. He did this for us. We're not going to keep Jesus' word perfectly. We'll wrestle with things like unbelief. We'll disobey, but we'll keep his word. Not because we have the strength and ability to do it on our own, but because the one who has given us new life and lives in us kept the Father's word without fail. That should give us great hope. So church, let's let's strive together. Let's strive to keep Jesus' words. Let's believe them, cherish them. Let's abide in them, live by them, be transformed by them. If we do this, Jesus promises us that we'll never see death. This leads us to our second question for this morning. What does it mean for us to never see death, to never taste it? What does that mean? Several months have passed since my grandpa's second wife um, passed away. Polly, she was a dear, sweet, godly woman. Polly died as a result of cancer. 
But to this day, my, my grandpa believes with full confidence that his wife is not dead. He believes with unwavering sureness that his wife has died, but she's not dead. She's never died. How do we, how do we hold these two things in tension? Do we die or don't we die? Jesus profoundly answers this question a few chapters later in John 11, 25 and 26. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Though he dies, he never dies. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says these words while weeping at the graveside of one of his dearest friends, Lazarus. Lazarus, in one sense, was dead. His body was dead. But in another more eternal sense, Lazarus never died. Polly died on December 10, 2018, but she never died. She'll never see death. She'll never taste death. There's going to come a day where, where you die. There's going to come a day where I die, where we die. But will we see death? That's the question. Will we see death? Now, believe it or not, Jesus helps us answer this question several chapters back. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24. Really let these words sink in. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. From death to life. Brothers and sisters, we'll, we'll never see death because if, if we're in Jesus We've already passed from death to life. We've been rescued. We've been rescued from ourselves, from our sin, from our, our misery. And we've been given new life, eternal, unbreaking, never-ending life. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. So this new life that we enjoy, it's a spiritual life. When we're born again, God gives us the gift of his spirit. So it's a spiritual life that we're given, new life that we don't deserve in place of a death sentence that we do. In this new spiritual life, we're, we're able to know God. We're able to, to fellowship with him. This new life that we enjoy right now is never-ending. It's never ending. The fellowship that we enjoy with God right now, by definition, can never be broken. It can never be broken. It can never be severed. It will never end because it has no ending. Church, hear me on this. 
will never taste death ever because the life that we taste now in Jesus is an unbreaking, never-ending eternal life. We'll never taste death ever because the life that we taste now in Jesus is an unbreaking, never-ending life. We can rest in this. Rest in this. Now, I, as I was thinking about this text, uh, this has profound implications for our lives. And we could, we could literally be here all day talking about the implications. We could, be, we could hang out. I'd love to hang out with you guys. If we grab coffee, we can talk about more of these implications. I'm going to give one because we don't have a whole lot of time here this morning. Because we'll never taste death, we can know that sin and suffering won't have the final word. That's at least one implication I think we can draw from this. Think about that. Because we'll never taste death, sin and suffering aren't going to have the final word. This is deeply comforting. This is a deep comfort for us when we feel like we're losing the fight against sin or when we feel like we're being trampled by pain and suffering. It's that addiction that you just can't seem to, to wrestle to the floor. And get, a, get beyond, it's, it's that pain, pain of infertility. One heartbreaking disappointment after another. When Jesus says that we'll never see death, what he's really giving us is our victory song. That's what he's giving us. He's saying, I'll defeat sin once for all. I'm going to put an end to all this evil, all this suffering, all this pain. I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to make you whole again. Friend, if you feel like sin and suffering are winning, rest in Jesus' words. You'll never see death. Your sin and your suffering, they're not going to get the last word. We could talk more implications, but we're going to move on to our third point this morning. Our third question, how can we be sure that we'll never see death? How can we be sure? Well, in one sense, I think we can answer this question um, pretty quickly. We can be sure that we'll never taste death because we're keeping Jesus' word. Jesus says, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. But there's another way that Jesus gives us assurance of our deathlessness in this passage. Look with me at verse 58. In response to being mocked and accused by his own people, Jesus makes yet another outrageous claim. And this one nearly gets him killed. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The Jews, their jaws would have dropped to the floor. Before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. These were fighting words. Jesus is claiming to be God himself. He's claiming to be Yahweh, 
the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Think Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say these things to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. Jesus is declaring, I am the great I am. We have, church, brothers and sisters, we have unwavering certainty that we'll never taste death because the one who makes this promise to us is God himself. The one who makes this promise is God himself. Jesus is God. And God's promises never fail. His words never fail. Jesus is God, so church, we can rest all of our hope on his promises. We can rest our hope on his promises. We can stake our eternity on it. When he says to us, if you keep my word, you'll never see death, we can rest every ounce of hope on these words. You and I will never, ever see death now and into eternity. So keep Jesus' word. Let's keep Jesus' word. Let's believe it. Let's abide in it. Let's cherish it. Let's rest in it. Be transformed by it. And we'll never see death. This, friends, this is a staggering, glorious promise to us this morning that, that Jesus makes. Let's not miss it. But let's live lives that are changed and fueled by it. Let's pray. What a radical promise that you make to us, Father, that we, if we keep your word, will never see death. We're so undeserving of the life that you give us in Christ. You're so gracious and good to us. Thank you for being a God who keeps his promises that we can stake our eternity on this promise that we'll never see death in this life and in the one to come. Father, we pray that, that this promise would be rooted deep in our hearts this morning and, and throughout our, our week and in the months ahead that we would live in light of this promise, that it would shape the way we that we view life. Father, we're, we're so grateful that we're not the walking dead, but we have eternal, unbreaking life in your name. Thank you for sending your son to die for us on a cross, to take our sin, that we can say that we'll never 
see death, that we'll never taste death, but instead that we will forever taste life in him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.